If you have a Bible or the Bible app on a device, join me in the book of Revelation, specifically called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we've started to do for the kids during the teaching time is to introduce a special word, a special Bible word for the kids, all right? So kids, today's special Bible word is trumpet. All right, kids, can you say trumpet? Trumpet, all right? That's right. So thank you, Jack. That was great. So today's special Bible word is trumpet. And so what we want you to do, kids, every time you hear the word trumpet, or we read the word trumpet, keep a tally how many times you hear us say the word trumpet or we read the word trumpet. And afterward, come up to me afterward, all right? We've got a prize box, all right? And you can just tell me how many times you heard, heard the special Bible word trumpet, all right? And you can get something from the prize box, all right? And we'll, that'll go up through like elementary school. So Revelation chapter 8 and chapter 9. And yes, we're going to try, we're going to try to cover two chapters today. And here's why, because they're connected. They're connected together as far as the events that are occurring in those two chapters. So, um, so Revelation chapter 8 and 9. And as, we're, as we pull back the curtain, all right, of this drama of the revelation of Jesus Christ, we need to, we need to remember who John is writing to or who this revelation is for. It's originally intended all right, to be read and, and, um, and heard um, from first century followers of Jesus, primarily who were living in Asia at the time. And some of those followers of Jesus were kind of, just kind of grown complacent and comfortable and cold in their journey with Jesus. And others were actually experiencing intense persecution and suffering because they followed Jesus. So this revelation of Jesus Christ is really meant to kind of warn those who were kind of living complacent, comfortable, cold, you know, walks with Jesus. But it was also intended to encourage those who were suffering because they followed Jesus. And so as we come into this book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, or this vision that the Apostle John sees, let's remember how to read the revelation. We read the revelation, right, understanding that this revelation of Jesus Christ is less about how the world is going to end and more about the victory of the church through our resurrected King Jesus, right? So that's how we need to read the book of Revelation, that it's less about how the world is going to end and more about the victory of the church through our resurrected King Jesus. So I want to start this morning by asking you a question and encouraging you to discuss the answer to this question with the people around you. The question is this, what is mercy? How would you define or describe mercy? Take a couple minutes with the people around you and talk about that. What is mercy? How would you define or describe mercy? Anybody remember as a kid growing up and playing the game mercy? Where, you know, in... You know what I mean by that? Like you would interlock fingers and hands. So the game would be to try to like push the other person's hands down to the point to where they cry what? Mercy. All right. Now you lost the game if you what? You cry mercy. All right. So, so when we think about mercy, what is mercy? And when we think specifically about God's mercy, how would we define or describe God's mercy? There's lots of different definitions or descriptions, but let me kind of describe God's mercy this way. God 
God's mercy is God not giving you the justice or judgment you rightfully deserve for your sin against him. Right? It is God's mercy is God not giving you the justice or judgment you rightfully deserve for your sin against him. Now, that leads to the next question. Well, then, what do you deserve for your sin against God? The Apostle Paul tells us in a letter he wrote to first century Christians who were living in the city of Rome. He said, for the wages or the paycheck that you get for the work of your sin is death. And that involves separation from God. That's the paycheck. That's what you rightfully and I rightfully deserve for our sin against God. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, Luke records Jesus doing a teaching. And, he, and he's doing a teaching on kind of this final destination, if you will, where we're going to spend this separation from God. And Jesus is teaching and he tells us that 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 destination, that place of forever separation from God is in a place called hell where there is weeping and there is gnashing of teeth forever. Now, I, I get that hell can be a problem for, for, for a lot of us, right? We struggle with, with hell because it just seems too severe. It just seems too severe. Right? I, I get that. And, and we want the punishment to fit the crime. And hell just seems too severe for the crime of sin. But let me push back on that a little bit. I think we have a problem with hell because we don't have a big enough problem with sin. And because we've actually softened the holiness of God so that we don't have to have a problem with sin. If we believe that God is perfect, then we must believe that God's justice is also perfect. And if God has determined that his perfect justice for our sin is hell, then let the severity of hell reveal the severity of sin against a holy God. If hell... Right? If, if hell is the perfect sentence for our sin, if, if that's what you and I rightfully deserve for our sin against God, then let that reveal to you just how wicked and evil your sin is against a holy God. Now, if everyone is a sinner, and the Apostle Paul said that too in Romans, he said, for all have sinned, so everyone in this room, Self-included, everyone here is a sinner. And if everyone is a sinner and the perfect justice for our sin is hell, then we are in desperate need of God's mercy. We are in desperate need because without God's mercy, hell becomes our final destination. I didn't, Jesus taught that. And sometimes God has to put us in the clamp, right? Where is this? In, in the clamp or, or a vice, right? Sometimes God has to put people who, who don't believe they need God's mercy, sometimes God has to put them in the clamp of his justice in order to win their attention to his mercy. Does that make sense? 
that sometimes God has to turn the vice of judgment and justice in order to get them to see their need for his mercy. And here's the stunning part in all this, is that God, even in his justice, even extends mercy to the very people who are shaking their fists at him and refusing to believe him. He still extends mercy. But here's the sad part. Even in God's extending mercy, people will still refuse. They will still shake their fists at God. They will still refuse to believe him for who he is and still reject to believe and follow his son, Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in Revelation 8 and 9. Do you know someone like that? Is there someone you love who maybe is in the vice of God's judgment and maybe they're shaking their fist at God? Maybe that's you. This leads us into what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 8 and 9. So let's start with chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. We're just going to read a a section of verses, talk about it, section of verses, talk about it. Verses 1 through 5. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now back in chapter 5, we watched Jesus open a scroll that was sealed seven times. And in chapter 6 and 7, six of the seals were opened. Chapter 8, Jesus is now opening the seventh and final seal that was on that scroll. And what we hear is that heaven goes silent. And that's kind of like the calm before the storm of God's justice. And when Jesus opens this seventh seal, we see seven angels ready to blow what? Seven trumpets. So that's kind of the scene. But then John sees like this eighth angel come out. And this eighth angel is now holding like this rod-like thing called a censer. And that was used to carry like perfume or incense. And so what this eighth angel does is it takes this incense and points it or puts it on this golden altar, right? Now, now you know what incense is, right? It's like like perfume. And, And I think as John is seeing this, or if you were a Jew seeing this vision, you would immediately go back to the old temple, the old tabernacle, where God commanded the priest to go into the tabernacle or the temple every morning and every evening. And what would that priest do every morning and every evening? He would light the incense. He would make sure that the incense was burning in the temple. Well, incense has this amazing smell, like it's perfume. And so every time you would come around the temple, you would, it would smell like this incense. I remember having a, a, in college a buddy in my dorm loved to burn incense in his room. 
And you could immediately walk into our dorm and be like, yep, Tom's burning incense. I mean, you could smell it, even though he was down the hall or whatever. Like, it just filled, it permeated the entire dorm. Right? And you're like, yep, Tom's burning incense. That's why it fills the room. And so what are the, what's the incense that John sees? He says it's incense with the prayers of the saints. But this is where we want to use the Bible to understand the Bible. Back in Revelation chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, we're told what the incense is. Revelation chapter 5, 7 and 8 says, And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So this perfume, this incense, are the prayers of those followers of Jesus who are crying out for God's justice, for God to defend them because they're being persecuted and suffering for Jesus. And so these are the prayers. So heaven is being filled with the prayers of God's people crying out for God to defend his name and to defend them. And then what you see next is this angel takes that rod-like insert and he points it to the earth and all this thunder. What's that represent? I think that represents that the justice that we're about to see God release onto the planet are direct answers to the prayers of his people. What that tells me is that, one, what does heaven smell like? It smells like prayer. Your prayers, my prayers, filling the throne room of heaven. God is hearing your prayers. He's hearing his people pray for justice, asking God to defend his name and to defend them. And that God is hearing those prayers, and the answer to his prayers is in, involves his justice on the planet. And that's what we see happen next. Verses 6 to the end of chapter 8. Follow along as I read. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet. Okay, now, let me pause real quick. As I read this, I want you to be thinking about, if you back kind of in biblical history, think of a time when we see these next judgments that God's going to bring on the, on the earth. I want you to see if they sound like another time when God brought judgment. All right, just kind of keep that in, in your mind as we read this. So, verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Hail and fire. Any, any similarities to another time when God brought judgment upon a people? Say again. Sodom and Gomorrah. Other times. 
Egypt. Yeah, think of the plagues. And I think that's the point here, the plagues on Egypt. You see a lot of similarities here. First trumpet, hail and fire, that was the seventh plague. We read that in Exodus chapter 9. Trumpet 2, water becoming blood, that was the first plague, Exodus chapter 7. And then in that same first plague, the water becomes undrinkable. And here you have this this plant called wormwood. And this was a plant that was familiar to Europe, to North Africa, to Asia. So this would have been very known among the first century Jews who followed Jesus in Asia. So they would have known about this. Now there is a chemical in this plant called wormwood that if you have too much of it, it's deadly. And so this is very familiar to first century followers of Jesus living in those parts of the world. And so what you have here is you have hail and fire, water becoming blood, water becoming undrinkable. And then you have the fourth trumpet. What happens on the fourth trumpet? Darkness. That was the ninth plague. Now, what's the point in all of this? I think, here's the point. Like he did with Pharaoh, God is going to bring justice on those who are hurting and persecuting his people. God will defend his name. And he will defend his people. We've talked about this before. Remember when um, Saul was on the way to Damascus and Jesus knocks him off his horse and Jesus doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? What does Jesus say? He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus takes the persecution of his people personally. And he will defend his name. And I think just like he did against Pharaoh, which he was putting the squeeze on Pharaoh, he was putting the clamp of his justice on Pharaoh and Egypt to squeeze Pharaoh to let God's people go free from their 450 years of slavery. God will do it again. And he's going to do it again. And what John sees here should encourage you. It should encourage you as a follower of Jesus to know that God will defend his name. And he will defend you, and he will bring justice. We may not know exactly when it will happen, but it's going to happen. And he will defend his name, just like he has done generation after generation after generation. And then John is going to see the fifth and sixth angels blow their trumpets, chapter 9. We're going to read from verses 1 to 19, and then we'll talk about it. Revelation 9, 1 through 19. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. 
They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Let's just stop there. So now John sees, he's seen four angels blow their trumpets. Now he sees this fifth angel blow his trumpet. What is, what's happening in this fifth trumpet? The star falls from heaven. The star is given authority over this pit. All right, so he unlocks the pit. Out comes smoke, and out from the smoke come these locusts that are given permission and authority to torment people to the point to where it's so bad that people would rather die than live. But there's a a certain group of people that these locusts are told don't touch. And it's those who are sealed on their foreheads. And from previous chapters, we've come to understand that those are God's people. And so I think specifically what you have here is you have God again turning the clamp of his justice and his judgment. Particularly on the people that are hurting and persecuting his people. Now who's the star? What's the locusts? Right? Well, verse 11 tells us that they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. So I think the star and the angel are the same thing. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus describes Satan as falling from heaven like a star. In Revelation chapter 12, we read again how Satan falls from heaven like a star. So I think the angel and the star is referring specifically to Satan himself. And so Satan is the one who's giving authority or power to these locusts, if you will, to bring God's justice and judgment, to turn the clamp of his justice and judgment. Well, what are the locusts? Well, the locusts, I think, remind us of the eighth plague. And we're not specifically told what the locusts are, but they're prepared for battle. They're wearing crowns of gold. Their faces are like human faces. I don't really know, to be honest with you, what they are, but here's what I think they might be, I think these are probably human leaders who are given authority by Satan and, and have demonic influence to bring God's just through, primarily through battle and war. So I think these potentially could be human leaders, government leaders, military leaders who are given authority by Satan, all right, to bring about justice and judgment. And we see that throughout biblical history too. I don't know for sure, but I think, all right. But the point in all this is that God is turning again the vice or the clamp of his justice. And he's bringing again more judgment and more justice. And we'll keep reading verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails, for the tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. There's a lot going on here in this sixth trumpet, right? But I think it's just more of the same. The sixth angel blows his trumpet, out come four more angels, and then they are giving, given um, permission, if you will, to bring about more justice and judgment upon the earth. But you'll see, notice too, that they're coming out from 
the, the sending of the angels is coming from the golden altar. Well, what's there? That's the incense. That means this is a response to the prayers of God's people, crying out to God. God, defend our name. No, maybe that, we don't, that doesn't resonate with us, but there are people around the world right now who are praying prayers, asking God, God, defend us. They're being persecuted because they follow Jesus. And I think for them, they would read this and go, thank you, God is hearing our prayers. And God will defend his name and he will defend us. And I think as we come to the end of chapter 9 and all these judges, I think we're, we're encouraged to ask a question. And the question is this, how will people respond? Will they turn? Will they see God finally for who he is? Or will they continue, like Pharaoh, to raise their fist, to dig in their heels and reject Jesus. How will they respond? Verses 19 and following. 20 and 21 of Revelation 9. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. They did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. John sees next the people who are still left alive, if you will, on the planet. But like Pharaoh, they continue to dig in their heels and they say, we refuse to believe. They will continue to shake their fists, dig in their heels even when God places them in the clamp of his justice and they will still refuse to change their mind and their belief about God because that's really what repentance is. Repentance begins with a change of belief, which brings about a change of behavior. The behavior comes as a change. You see change behavior because the belief has changed and they're still refusing to believe God for who he is. And listen, you need to understand that God's heart is that all would come to repentance. That's his heart. We know that because 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us that God longs that all would come to repentance, but the reality is not all will, and it's not God's fault. But there is an expiration date on God's mercy. He says, God longs that all would come to repentance, but not all will, but the day of the Lord is coming. There is an expiration date on God's mercy. Well, how do you explain what happens in Revelation 8 and 9? Let me try to explain by telling you a story. Ten years ago, my dad was beginning to feel some tightness in his chest. And my dad's, and he would confess to this, he's pretty stubborn, and began to feel some tightness in his chest. He was getting tired, you know, earlier than usual. Kind of shortness of breath. To the point where he's like, you know what, I probably should go see the doctor. So he goes in to see his doctor. And the doctor immediately says, you need to go to the hospital. So my dad goes to the hospital. They run some more tests. And they realize that 90% of the main artery in my dad's heart is blocked. They call that the widow maker for a reason. And in that moment, let me tell you what the doctor did. He cut open my dad. He made my dad bleed. And because of what that doctor did, 
My dad now has a scar on his chest. Can you believe that's what the doctor did? And you're like, of course. He hurt your dad to save your dad. Exactly. The purpose of the hurt was to save. Even in God's putting the clamp of justice, he's extending his hand of mercy. Even in his justice, even the purpose of the hurt is to save, and yet people will still refuse. And this should lead our thoughts and our minds to another moment when God pours out his justice and extends his mercy at the same time. The cross. The cross. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Listen, Jesus took your hell to save you from it. He took the justice you and I rightfully deserve so that you wouldn't have to. And in that moment of him bleeding out on the cross for you, he is extending his mercy to you and to me because of his compassion for you and for me. The purpose of his hurt on the cross was to save you and to bring you to him. That should cause you and me to fall on our faces before God in gratitude for his mercy. How God, at the death of his son, pays for the justice you deserve for your sin by placing it onto his own son, and in doing so, he also extends mercy to you and to me. Listen, mercy. Remember the game? In the game of mercy, you lose by crying mercy. With God and the gospel, you win by crying mercy. When you cry mercy to God, you are winning his forgiveness. You are winning his presence. You are winning his mercy. You are winning a relationship with him. You are winning becoming part of his family. You are winning him when you cry for mercy and you say, God, you are who you are. I am a sinner. I rightfully rightfully deserve your justice. But because you love me, you put it onto your son on the cross. Mercy. Give me your mercy. And he says, anyone who cries mercy... I will forgive. Have we become so inoculated with what God has done for us that it no longer moves us? Have we become, is is the gospel and what Jesus has done, we've just heard it so many times that we're no longer moved by what God the Father did in pouring out the justice that you deserve and I deserve onto his son. And here's the truth. That John sees that even in his justice, God is extending you mercy. Even in his justice, God is extending you mercy. I'm going to ask the band to come. And I just want you to pause for a moment as we think about this, that even in his justice, God is extending you mercy. What's the Spirit saying to you this morning? What's, what's he saying to you? Would you just kind of maybe take a moment and just bow your head and just ask him?
right now where you sit. Just say, God, what are you saying to me this morning in response to the truth that we've heard today? Just ask him. Jesus loves you. Do you believe that? That Jesus loves you? I mean, just receive that this morning. That he loves you so much that he willingly took hell. He took the justice that you deserve and I deserve for our sins willingly upon himself so that you and he could be together. He loves you. And if you ever question that, just look at the cross. See Jesus on the cross because there you see justice, but there you also see his mercy. We're going to sing a song, and I just really want to encourage you to spend this time in prayer. Just continue to fill the throne room of heaven with the incense of your prayer. Maybe you want to pray for someone that you know is around the world serving Jesus. You just want to pray for them. Or maybe you've been running from Jesus, and you've gone cold and comfortable and complacent, and you need to repent change your belief about Jesus and you need to ask him to forgive you and he will. Yeah. God, we love you this morning. We're undeserving. Yeah. Just keep speaking to us.